Hey everybody, welcome back to the Salmon Trout Steelheader Podcast. I have a special guest here today, Andrew Schnell. What's going on, Andrew? What's up, man? Hey, so I've got a lot of questions for this guy. He's a, a fellow steelhead enthusiast, um, you know, in a big way. And I, I, I get the feeling that a lot of the people that listen to this podcast and get deep into this content whether it be online, in a magazine, book, and you really dive into it. So I kind of want to ask you a couple questions kind of pertaining to your background and knowledge, but also, you know, kind of on the river experience as it relates to steelhead fishing. So can you tell me a little bit about just your background, um, perhaps in biology and mountaineering? Yeah, for sure. I grew up fishing a lot. I split time growing up between uh, Santa Cruz, California and Big Fork, Montana. And uh, Montana all summer, every summer, I was just fishing a bunch. Um, Really loved it. Uh, Fly fishing and spin both. Uh, Cutthroat trout, bull trout. Um, Growing up near Glacier National Park, having my parents take me there um, when I was a kid, hiking a bunch, Um, just always outside. We weren't allowed to play video games growing up, so um, I was mm-hmm. always outside doing different stuff, basically being feral. Uh, yeah, that's a like good thing. That's all a good the thing. time. Yeah. And I, I don't really think that's changed as an adult. Um, and so, yeah, it was a biology major in college. I've always loved the natural world being outside. Um, and then being athletic, uh, running super far, mountaineering, um, really pretty obsessed with mountaineering. It's maybe the only thing I, I love more than steelhead fishing, although it's a it's a pretty close uh, almost tie there for sure. Um, so yeah, the mountaineering really lends itself well uh, to, I think, wild winter steelhead fishing, at least the way that I do big it. Big time. Yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty big claim because I know how, the, how much this guy loves steelhead and how hard he works for them. So mountaineering must be a uh, pretty solid but it's not a it's something that for me um nature as a way of getting to steelhead it's all good whatever it is but i I guess hiking away from a river to me is a little strange yeah yeah for sure i don't have that athletic uh, prowess either i'm sure that it takes or the technique but uh yeah i mean i kind of tend to view nature as um closest hike to the water so you know a lot of a lot of fishermen um, are encountering different situations, whether they're salmon, trout, steelhead uh, fishing. And I think kind of an opinion here, and this is very general. Everybody's going to chime in with their, oh, that's not true. I catch a billion salmon a day. But here's here's what I would say. It's like salmon are not necessarily as hard to find, in my opinion. Um in a lot of situations they're showing themselves they're stacking up in big numbers but often it's getting the bite to go that's kind of the puzzle right there and that's where you've really got to have good egg cures or you know great presentation of this and that Um, whereas steelhead can be very aggressive especially fresh winter steelhead or fresh summer steelhead for sure Um, and when you find them they're pretty good biters and they'll hit a lot of different things but i feel like you need that um whatever it is, that hiking mentality and the ability to get out and really um, not view the outdoors as an obstruction, but really move through it and enjoy that part of it. And with your experience and the, you know, crazy kind of physical fitness side of it, plus being able to move uh, in those extreme situations, how has that helped you as a steelhead angler? 
Yeah, good question. Um, probably a lot of ways. I think the persistence and the, the determination, um, the ability to be really cold for long periods of time, uncomfortable. Um, I mean, uh, you just really have to have a passion for the fish, for being outside, for loving what you're doing. Um, but uh, I, I guess having done a lot of difficult athletic things in my life or or difficult things in the wilderness like um you know if you're suffering pretty hard all day um just trying to find some fish and hiking really really far and um bushwhacking miles and miles through blackberry you know or salmon berries while it's snowing sleeting hailing um you know there's holes in your waders you're super super cold it just uh I don't know. It takes some some time to figure out how to make peace with that. Yeah, and then it puts you at a great advantage too because it's, you know, there's a lot of fisheries that go on in the Northwest and the Great Lakes, you know, when it comes to steelhead that are literally some of the worst conditions possible, whether it be snowstorms or, or you know, hail or rising, you know, of course, cold rain and all that. Uh, but I mean, for me, I've certainly noticed a trend that as long as the water is somewhat right and the, you know, and it's been cold for a bit and it starts snowing or kind of has those extreme conditions, you can have some incredible days. Oh, for sure. Yeah. In the wintertime, you might miss out on the best chance at a 20 pounder if yeah. you don't go out in the rain you got and to sleep em- and You got to embrace the suck. I Yeah. And I have seen like, you know, the big fish that you know my buddies and me and people that i know have caught and there is a lot of them where there's snow and ice on the ground and you're out and it's you know there's a there's a certain amount of equipment you need to get there's essential gear for steelhead fishing no doubt i think if you don't have a good pair of waders and boots at least most of the time you're at a percentage decrease and you need warm enough stuff to keep yourself going. So you have a bit of that um, kind of survivalist outdoor mentality. What would you say are some things that you could kind of bring to the to the game when it comes to winter steel at tough conditions? Like what to pack, what to wear, what to, you know, what to eat, for instance. Because yeah. that's a, it takes a lot of energy. Yeah, good question. I think um, everybody is different. Everybody is going to need different things in a day. Um you know, but I can talk about like some generalities. I think having hot hands um, is like really important. Having extra layers, extra waterproof layers, dry clothes, the ability to change into dry clothes. That's big. Uh, yeah. yeah. I always carry emergency GPS because I'm usually way out there, like way out of cell service and by myself. And if anything goes sideways, you know, like people need to know where I am or how to reach me or where I went missing. That's uh, that's pretty smart. What a... Um, what kind of, what kind of GPS is that? What are you doing? Yeah. That would be a good one for, you know, especially have, having a family and such. Yeah, it's important. Um, well, I, sorry, I guess really for anyone, obviously, um, you know, well, but especially if you've got people who are worried about you. Yeah. Yeah. If they're worried about you and they know you have one and they're like, okay, you know, he's fishing an extra hour and he hasn't hit the emergency button. We're okay. You know, so yeah, that what what do you get? Like, what would you recommend so, for that? Yeah, I've got a Garmin InReach Mini. It's pretty small. It's lightweight. Pairs with a phone, and uh, 
there's a they're not cheap uh, a couple hundred bucks probably but if you wait for like black friday sale or get them at costco or something they can be cheaper and there's like a monthly subscription fee um yeah. my subscription is like 12 or 14 bucks a month but that's pretty easily worth it to me given the amount of time i spend oh absolutely at a cell service mm -hmm. um, and you can like write text messages from your phone you can send preset messages like, really there's a bunch of different plans you can select from um, and like just between the mountaineering and the fishing, um, I just spend so much time out of cell service. It's just like, I don't know, it's some of the best money I've ever spent. And I listen to so many emergency wilderness podcasts and so many survival situations yeah. like could have, I don't know, I would say like 98% of them can be solved or prevented by like having emergency GPS communication. You know, that's huge. And that's something <laughs> I haven't even thought about, you know, really, uh, you know, that in between service and not is, is kind of difficult. You know, winter time for me, I'm not able to do a bunch of full day trips, especially that, you know, I might be fishing for a little bit, but you know, you go out of service for a little while. That's that. Yeah, that's totally different. It's, it would be nice to kind of have that security, um, knowing that you have that in the outdoors and then being able to just go up crazy rivers and have fun. Cause that's what it's all about. And so you are definitely one of the hardest hikers um, that I know, you know, by far for uh, for steelhead especially. And so, like, you know, kind of walk me through, you know, maybe some of the more extreme hikes you've done and maybe your average steelhead fishing experience if you're exploring a river. Yeah. Um, I guess it varies a lot depending on what time we are in the season. Like right now, I'm mostly targeting you know, early run hatchery fish, because that's sort of like what's available. Um, yeah. But as we get, you know, deeper into the season, I'm going to be going after mostly wild fish. And that's really when I start um, hiking far. And it's yeah. not like I'm against being in boats, like I'll boat fish too and raft yeah. and stuff like that. But I, I really enjoy like the peace and solitude that like hiking really far deep into the woods and seeing nothing but bald eagles, elk, beavers, and steelhead, and like zero other people all day. It's I incredible. Mean, that's a pretty yeah. special experience, and that's... I and that know. can still happen even around here. There really is places, you know, to get away and There's fish. There's so many, know? and all you really need is like, you know, a bunch of maps and the ability to, and willingness and free time to explore, and I realize not everybody has that, but mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you do, take advantage of it, because we live in a beautiful place. And, yeah. Um, yeah, but... Um, I guess like as I get into wildfish, if I'm hiking, there's a variety of different rivers in Oregon um, and Washington I'll hike up along. Um, some are really bushwhacky and like involve a lot of scrambling like with gear. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, and it depends how high the rivers are that, that day and if you need to cross or if you don't. Um, but like I'll tailor the amount of gear and rods and nets and stuff that I bring, like depending on how much bushwhacking I have to do on the way up a river and how many crossings and um, like scrambles I have to do yeah. on the way up somewhere. Cause you don't want to be like carrying a ton of stuff, you know, uh, mm -hmm. if you can. Um, but uh, like sometimes I don't, I think the furthest I've ever hiked in a day trip for winter steelhead, wild winter steelhead is like, just under 30 miles like 27 27 and a half miles something like that that's crazy i mean don't get me wrong it was a brutal day my like i was pretty sore my feet were sore at the end of it i was exhausted but like yeah. uh, i was pretty pretty happy at the end of the day and sometimes it's only for 
one or two fish. Um, yeah. And are you just fishing really fast, just all the way up a river, um, and just covering water with, you know, like a, a smaller type system, I would as, uh, assume if you're it really, heading that far up. Yeah. It really depends on the river yeah. um, and the kind of spots you're trying to target because, uh, how you can get into different areas most effectively is obviously going to depend on the spot, the bucket, the run, the depth. Uh, the speed of the water, whether it's snaggy on the bottom or not, like uh, a ton of different things. But um, I'll either bring just a, you know, drift fishing setup or a bobber dog setup or like a fixed float mm-hmm. setup. And um, I fly fish too. So occasionally I'll bring a, a fly rod if the conditions are right. Um, so it depends. If I don't know the river as well, like I'll bring sort of a wider variety of stuff. And as soon as I know a river well or like how it's going to fish on a certain day Mm -hmm. i'll only bring the stuff that i know that i need so i'll have everything like pre-tied up ahead of time in small tackle boxes and just bring like two rods um if i can get away with it Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah and that's a really that's a really smart move and uh that's something i've been getting ready for the steelhead season this year just kind of getting some some extra gear to get set up um it's been a while since I've kind of, you know, totally revisited my entire setup for steelhead. You know, it's, it's always kind of like, Oh, here's some last year's stuff that I'm doing. And this time I'm like really just taking a a little bit different approach, getting some new, um, you know, color sizes, different things, trying some new weight, um, weight concepts and such. And, uh, so yeah, you can, you could bring a thousand rods with you, but like you said, you get, you know, I, I, I think when you're fishing fast like that, especially on certain systems where there are smaller systems that, you know, the holes are, you know, especially low and clear and stuff like that. You give them a couple, couple presentations by and make sure you fish it efficiently and effectively and make sure that they can see it and you cover a quick grid or whatever, but then keeping moving is so ridiculously effective for winter steelhead. There's no way around it. And and yes, I do believe you can fish too fast, but also you kind of can't because how many of those times have you rolled up to that hole and it's like cast number one, two, or three, it's on. It's like trying to sell something, you know, like in the 90s, all those people who went and knocked on doors and tried to sell stuff. You know, how many people are you going to get who aren't home? Yeah, like you're just trying to like knock on all these doors for all these steelhead and be like, hey, hey, you home? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're going to know within like three to five casts almost always. And that's the beauty of wild fish, like Mm -hmm. steelhead that behave like wild animals, like steelhead should. And just like they'll just smash something if they're home, you know, and like if they're going to hit it, they're going to hit it. Yeah. Um, If they're not, they're not. And you can move on. Um, Mm -hmm usually and and i'm not saying like sometimes that hasn't taken eight to ten casts oh of course to hook, yeah like a wild fish of in course an area but like if it's and i saw i saw it recently in you know in like a colder water situation where it's like i my buddy it took him quite a while to get the you know get it right in front of him yeah and that fish finally moved and then yeah sometimes know, when it's cold you got to paint a mustache yeah, on them yeah exactly but i would say that a majority of the time especially when the temperature is right and they feel secure enough um 
but you could, you know, it's the right conditions to present it to them. I mean, you can move, you can fish pretty fast, and then you're putting yourself at just a percentage increase just by the fact of the more water you're covering, the more steelhead you'll run into. It's not necessarily with wild steelhead, they will hold in a lot of various areas through the river, and maybe just one, maybe two, and then yeah, you might find a stack of them somewhere. But like when you just keep rolling through that percentage increase is crazy. So what would you say, like, if you were just going to focus on, you know, you're going to go out to fish and you know, you're going to do a bank fishing, hiking type thing. Um, and you kind of already know a river you've already, you already kind of know the spots. How far of a hike would you like to do? How many holes would you like to cover? And then what would you do in that situation? Say it's a medium to high water, upper river situation there's steelhead around how fast would you want to move good question um i guess it depends on what river i was fishing and where i was starting um probably but uh you could move fairly quickly um like and it just depends if you start running into fish or not um and how how low or high they are in the system but if it's like a medium high water day i mean typically they're going to be probably higher up in the system yeah water's low fish low water's high fish high yeah um and so like typically that involves hiking further or getting up there more which can be difficult especially if you can't cross in certain places when the water is really high yeah um, and a, so like sometimes you're just like well i, I don't want to drown today so yes. i'm gonna turn around here and safety first i mean i have been i i remember one specific situation i pushed the envelope and i was that close to being just pinned under something if i would have taken another step um and that's not something i want to risk but at the same time there are things uh, that you can do to make yourself safer in those situations. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of value in doing that. I know in summer steelhead, I was fishing an upper river situation and, uh, I could see the bottom in every hole if I went up to it. So after I'd fish, I'd keep moving and I could tell there were no steelhead in the holes anywhere because I could see them all when I went up through them, it was low enough for that. Yeah. And then I got to a certain section we went up some elevation, got to one certain section, and every hole after that was a summer steelhead, mm. like for multiple holes. Wow. And it's like they hit that certain elevation and they were just there. And so on on one hand, I do believe the hiking, you know, a longer hike, of course, can be effective, but you're also committing to a certain area of the river pretty hard or at least moving through it. So you you also... I think there's a lot of value in maybe having shorter, shorter distances or dins, distances to see if the fish are in there, and then deciding to keep going, or maybe jumping in the car and going to a whole different section of the river, head down to yeah. the lower river, or something, mm-hmm. fish a little closer, you know. So I think moving around in general, that's one part that bank anglers have over a drift boat is a drift boat starts somewhere and it goes down, and Sometimes you're fishing down and all of a sudden you go up and especially if they blew through the upper part of a drift in the morning when the temperature was lower and the fish weren't biting and then you go up there, you know, you can kind of split a river into a lot of different sections and hit the lower, middle, upper and then once you're convinced that there's fish around, 
then do one of those dedicated hikes. And I think it is an ace in the hole um, on weekends, wouldn't you say? If you're willing to do it. Yeah. I mean, anytime you want to be away from people, it's yeah. an ace in the hole, you know, especially if you're willing to put in the work. I mean, that's just the thing. Like most people aren't willing to put in the work either in the research, the mapping, um, like the terrain, the logistics of figuring out how you're going to get somewhere, you know, like, um, what the transportation looks like, who you're going to go with, um, you know, being okay with like, might maybe not finding any fishable water that day. Um, but like, if you, you put the work in, you know, you learn a system, you're going to have some high percentage spots at certain water levels. Right. And if you keep a log, right, that's mm-hmm. really important. I think, um, you write down where you caught a fish, what the GPS coordinates were, you know, what the nearest river gauged out at um, mm-hmm. that day, whether what the water was dropping, rising, what the temperature was, what you were fishing. Eventually, you'll start to put together a lot of patterns about what works and what doesn't work. And it, it varies depending on the system, too. But um, once you know all of that stuff, you know, especially if you can check a ton of spots along one river in a day or multiple rivers in a day, um, like you're going to start having a lot more success um, yeah. back to back to back. And uh, yeah, I mean, ha- hatchery steelhead fishing is excellent for a lot of things. I think um, dialing in what you're using um, and your presentations and, and, you know, especially if the fish have a lot of pressure on them or are picky or whatever, that can be really helpful. Yeah, But I absolutely. think it's a, it's a very different style of fishing from fishing for unpressured wild steelhead and i if you really want to learn like where steelhead sit in a river um how they behave and like you know what they like to eat you know there's there's at least when i was learning there was no better way to do that than fishing for truly unpressured wild fish because Mm -hmm. then like that's a perfect gauge for whether you're doing things right or not you know um and then if you're fishing fish that are really pressured like it can just turn into a whole different ball game um oh absolutely yeah Yeah, and uh you know pressured fish you know certainly there's those systems where there's a lot of steelhead moving through and the the pressure of it itself it may not be that you're presenting it wrong or anything like that there's just too much of that going on and the difference between like a true biter steelhead and one that's just turned off, maybe been hooked already or whatever it may be, but just a lock jaw moment. And when you get those unpressured wild fish often, you know, because they're more spread out. So the pressure's more spread out. There's a lot of steelhead moving around, poking in one at a time or a couple at a time. It's not necessarily just these giant pods in one part of the river and everybody's trying to get them yeah so it's like they're moving stealthily through the system and you've got to move like them you've got to like keep rolling up river and just various spots and it it's uh but it is so different like you said just system to system and like little creeks especially and small rivers with very limited areas where they can be those have to be the coolest hikes. Yeah, and then you know? for sure. One one of the other cool things about that is there's only so many places the fish are going to be. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. So like you you don't have to worry as much about yep. covering as much water. You know, they're kind of like they're there or they're not. Yep. You know, especially. and you're trying just a nice, perfect, light enough presentation and get it in front of them, but not spook them. 
That's another yeah. thing I do kind of notice sometimes is I do feel like you do need to be a little bit stealthy oh, still. You gotta be so with sneaky, steelhead, especially when it's more low so than like clear. cutthroat trout. Yeah, you know, no, steelhead are so smart. They're like they're and they're so anxious. I'm convinced that steelhead all have like anxiety. really bad anxiety <laughs> disorders. Like they're so yeah yeah they're like but they're so. I'm gonna fast. start casting a Lexapro. You should, Healthy, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. cast SSRIs. Yeah, yeah, cast it right under the bobber, and and they could probably benefit from that. Yeah, no, but like they're they're so fast and they're so strong. I feel like it's like uh, kind of like if Usain Bolt had an anxiety disorder. Yeah, that's like what steelhead are like. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And so, you, but they're so hyper aware of everything that's trying to eat them, whether that's eagles or bears or like anything in the ocean because everything is trying to eat them all the time yeah so and they're so anxious so like water clarity is so huge whether it's hatchery fish or wild fish because mm -hmm. like i think the perfect situation is you can't see them they can't see you exactly. but the water's not super dirty yes or super yep. clear right enough yep. so that they can see maybe like a foot to two feet of this so enough that they can see the presentation but like not enough so that they can see you and that you're going to spook them. Because if you can see the steelhead, like, oh, they're probably yeah. out of there or, yeah. like, not going to bite. You know, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been walking up on, like, a good spot and I've been, like, 50 feet away, okay, and that steelhead will, in super clear water, will see me, right, and it'll be in the tail out maybe. It'll be like, oh, nope, there's something moving up there. I don't want to get eaten today. Yeah. And then it just swims into the deep part of the hole and just, like, holds there and is, like not gonna bite so like yeah. especially if you're fishing in clear water you got to be super sneaky i do the most ridiculous stuff i'll like crouch down behind bushes and yeah. stuff I'll yeah. like cast from behind bushes like really down low and like you got to fish from downstream up because steelhead can see sideways up in mm -hmm. front of them but there's like sort of a an angle behind them that they don't see very yeah. well so if you approach within like a 30 degree angle of like the way the fish is facing from behind them and like you stay low and out of yeah. their field of vision when it's That's low and clear absolutely yep. like you can just you can just whack them you know my buddy uh you know we were fishing uh low water not extremely low but pretty dang low and he was like questioning me when i told him to kneel down behind these reeds and barely reach his rod over and toss it in yeah and but he, you know, hooked one immediately, but it was like right in front of him. If he would have stepped up where he was going to fish, yeah, it, there's no way that fish was going to bite. Yeah, And it was just like, hey, just try just the very top of the hole. Just maybe one or two casts. Get in there before you just walk right to the prime spot of the hole. Yeah, That's one thing I do a lot is like, I'll see the perfect spot to fish, but I'll be like, but there could be one right in yeah, front of there. Fish the close water Fish first. it, just like cast it up, even if it's a little awkward cast, just to make sure there's not something eager sitting right in front of me. Yeah. Then go up there, pick apart the hole, but they can be right there. You know, often we're casting to the far bank. Yeah. Because we see a nice juicy little run, but, but then if you were right standing in front of on us, the opposite bank, you would be casting. Right? You'd yeah. be casting at like right where you're standing. So like the yeah. two, the two little chrome hens I caught yesterday, like one of them was like right at sunrise before you could even really. It was still kind of dark, but like you know that fish, like was right at my feet. So yeah. I was just like, you know, fishing like right beneath where I was because it was still dark enough. I figured to like not fish the 
you know, or not spook the fish that were right beneath me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, like third cast, bam. And I was like, I don't think I've ever caught a steelhead that close to my feet before. That's so cool. And the yeah. one later in the day was like on the far bank behind a rock. But but. You were fishing really high conditions. You know, as we record this podcast, just for reference, uh, like my local river here that I'm close to is at seven times like the medium high level like above the median seven times you know it's it's insane and today I, I still went and checked two spots that are just so high in the system and in creeks and stuff and I like there's just a couple places where even at this level like there's gonna be a perfect little gravel slow run and it may only be 10 feet but in this high water there's still it's insane that there are places obviously it's drops down gets into nice condition and then fishing is kind of quote-unquote ideal for a while yeah but i mean you can catch them in the extreme conditions too where it's like really high water or really extreme weather or really low and clear but low and clear is one thing where stealth i think gets overlooked and yeah you gotta be so ninja yeah and 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 it it feels a little strange to be like that, but I think I learned that from largemouth bass fishing, to be honest, because I used to sneak up on these ponds and I knew the bass were like two feet from the edge, just right next to a log. And you know, it was just going to be there. And I'd walk in with a 10 and a half foot steelhead rod and drop like a Sanko down with only my hand sticking over, you know, it's a nice like you have to do that. Otherwise that bass saw you was over. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to do that stuff. And obviously in high water, I mean, there's certain times where I could just walk straight up and because of glacial water or high water, there's no way they're going to see you. And they just hook a fish like right close to you. It's insane. I mean, you got, you got two fish at a really difficult or like high water and early in the season, which is really cool. So that's a good sign here coming in 2023, 20, 24 i mean you yeah i i've been doing a lot better last year by this time i think i'd like but weren't conditions better but conditions the... were much better so like we had a really long dry spell right when like yeah. there hadn't been enough rain at the start of the season to really bring i don't know kick the season off and bring yeah. bring numbers of fish in not that none of them were in but yeah. then like then they you still had like two yeah. huge atmospheric river events like back to back and everything just like blows way out yeah right and then i don't know so like probably like next week when it starts coming down again it's going to be really good i'll probably take a couple days off work in addition to my weekends i think it will be really good in certain rivers but i also think it's very easy at least in you know in this kind of downturn of steelhead for some of these rivers even if conditions are ideal and it's like early mid december it's just still not happening. Oh, and that, there's yeah, not a lot of them there. coming in. Yeah, and luckily, not. there are some places that are going to be great. So people are going to get into them. I know a couple people, right rivers, right timing, right conditions, they're going to get them. But really, this is still a harder part of the season in terms of every river getting them. Yeah. And this is a time where, yes, maybe some of us are luckier than others for what river we live by. And in December, it may be a blessing, but then you guys get them January, February, March, April, you know, insane amounts. So it's kind of, you know, there's these little trade-offs on early fisheries versus later fisheries. Uh, but it is an exciting time with high water. There's a good time to do hikes. I think early steelhead, given enough water in the winter, 
uh, are often headed way up in a system and go into creeks and stuff like that. And so this is a time that I think it's especially effective to cover a ton of water. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm going to kind of wrap things up here with, uh, Andrew, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to do a, probably a couple more podcasts about a couple different subjects and we'll kind of get deep into it. I think right, right now, um, pretty specific to steelhead this winter, I'm still going to be talking about some other trout, um, topics and winter trout fishing, some cool stuff there. But uh, I think, you know, I think a lot of us are steelhead anglers at heart that live in the Northwest that have had good success with salmon, trout, and steelhead, I find that most people, at the end of the day, steelhead's a special one. Yeah, and, yeah. And there is still people who say, well, yeah, I'd rather catch a giant Chinook or something like this. It, it's obviously not all steelhead, but it's extremely popular here. If we get good steelhead fishing anytime, winters, summers, it's it's been a downturn. There's still some great fishing to be had. There's no question and it might be a down year as far as numbers, and you have a great year because of the conditions or the fact that there was less pressure or something like that. So it's all relative, you know, to the time you spend and where you spend it. And I spend a lot of time out there. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I don't think I'm like, I don't know, an insanely good fisherman or anything. I just like, I go a lot, you know. And That's so like huge. I, I catch yeah. a lot of fish, not because I'm really good or anything, but just because like I you know, I spend a lot of time on the river. I spend a lot of time hiking, exploring, mm-hmm. putting in the work. And like, there's tons of days when I get skunked. You know? Oh, me too. I, absolutely. Um, I mean, that, that is a, a reality of steelhead fishing in Washington, Oregon, uh, is you have to be prepared to get skunked. Even when you do everything right, there are rivers and timings. And I'm not talking like you couldn't get them to bite. I'm talking literally no steelhead in the system you're yeah. in, in like a, a certain prime part of the year. I mean, uh, if, no, they're just, there are like gaps. It's like a yeah. steelhead drought. Right? Yeah. There's so little like, droughts and then it gets really good. And, and you get these pushes of fish. And it's, it's hard yeah. too, because like sometimes I did, you just have to put in so much work. Like I'm most of the time, most of the year I'm driving an hour and a half minimum yeah. one way to get to wherever I'm fishing. Right. And like, you know, I don't know, sometimes four and a half hours one way. And so like, it's hard to want to wake up at, you know, 3am, 4am drive, you know, an hour and a half, three hours, whatever, one way, hike all day, you know, like catch no fish, like spend all that money on gas and a day off with no sleep, drive all the way back home, right? And then want to wake up the next morning and like do it again or, mm-hmm. you know, do the same thing on both your days off the next week. But like, I don't know, I've had some of the the best days steelhead fishing I've ever had were like days where I almost didn't go. But mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I can't catch them from the couch. Like, absolutely. Maybe I'll sleep in a little bit and still go, and then like end up catching like eight, and then yeah. just be like, I almost didn't go. Yep. Like, how did I think I shouldn't have gone? And that? hey, sometimes if it's if it's just you going out and you wake up in the morning, and you're not meeting anyone else, you're not ruining anyone else's day. You know, yeah. Why not just start a little later, put in a little bit of time, and then kind of feel it out. Like, are they in? Are like, do we have a decent amount of fish in the system for me to be able to go through these holes and find them? And then, uh, you know, for me, I'm going to be choosing 
little 30-minute slots in my days when I can this winter, and then putting in a couple days where I'm actually putting in a full day, and that'll be wonderful, but those times are going to be limited, so I'm going to be trying to get out in little 20-minute spurts, like, you know, when I'm just finished a project, go eat some food, go fish for a little bit at hopefully a high percentage spot and hope for the best. But, um, you know, putting in those long days and being willing to drive to rivers that have healthy fishing going on at the time is a massive, massive percentage changer. And, uh, but researching too, like, I mean, I, I almost don't even want to talk too much about researching because it's really just something that someone has has to have the desire to go do to learn try new fisheries instead of just waiting on someone else to show them good fishing somewhere like sometimes you have to read you know a lot of the fishing information on forums and stuff is pretty massively skewed by how much they want you to fish there and all that sort of stuff and i get it like i like protecting small fisheries but if you're willing to actually explore maps and biologist reports and these various things i mean it's a massive leg up i think yeah i mean if if we do future podcasts like i I don't know i could dive deep into all sorts of things that would hopefully really help people like specifically what to use setups like um, a ton of different stuff but Mm -hmm. i would just say like if, if you have enough passion and initiative for steelhead fishing there there are there's just so much information that's already out there yeah. that that's just at your fingertips that you could go get. I mean, like, well, salmon trout steelheader alone yeah. right now, you know, you're listening to salmon trout steelheader podcast uh, on the, uh, on the website itself. There's loads of free articles, not to mention, you know, the magazine itself going back towards 1967, all these books, great information on fishing and, then there's that kind of scientific side of it that has nothing to do with fishing. Like that J.D. McFowl book, Wild Steel. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that that's an awesome one. And w- when you get to even like some of the tools you're using for mountaineering specifically, that all applies and can really increase it. So maybe that's something we should, you know, certainly discuss in future podcasts. But yeah, anyway, there's uh, there's some serious flooding going on right now, but then pretty soon. I'm going to have to take a look at the weather here, but I mean, we should be entering a really fun time. So what kind of stuff are you going to be doing here in the next week or two? Uh, definitely more steelhead fishing. Yeah. Yeah. And work and yeah. trying to sleep and, uh, exercising. For sure. Are you going to be traveling around at all or sticking closer to home to fish for the next couple weeks or I'm going to be traveling. So I live like kind of on the border of Portland and Milwaukee and, oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah. you know, there's lots of good rivers to fish mm-hmm. in Oregon, but, um, you know, like typically you will almost always find me on coastal rivers, yeah. um, in the state of Oregon, like the closer it is to the ocean, just, I believe very strongly that, that you're just more likely to run into fish. Like if it doesn't have a dam on it, it's got a lot of really healthy spawning habitat and it's close to the ocean, especially if there's no people there, that is where you will find me every time. And it's just an excellent move. You know, wild fisheries, there's no doubt when those, you know, we get these long estuary and then long tidewater systems, like, you know, the Columbia itself, those fish that are a little farther away from the salt, when they're, fry and small they're having to deal with a much longer journey to the ocean 
And to even just survive that is actually extremely difficult for summer steelhead, especially. In the Columbia River, there's something in insane number. I'm not even going to say it for fear of getting it wrong, but an insane percentage of summer steelhead during this uh, specific year and study were, were picked off just by the cormorants and birds like near the mouth. And uh, so those coastal rivers that sometimes they are just, it's not that they're perfectly immune to what's happened in other places, but they're almost these little treasure untouched. Yeah. yeah, These little treasure, these uh, untouched, very rich habitat, beautiful rivers. They do still exist in the steelhead or in them. And some of our other systems, we require stocking of a lot of hatchery fish, which is awesome. I think uh, the hatchery steelhead opportunities are really good, and it's a, it's excellent for guide business and for families getting out having fun. I think uh, when it comes to kind of the wild steelhead side of things, it's generally going to be people who are more deeply into steelhead itself rather than just fishing and bringing home meat you know Mm -hmm. it's the people that are deeply into the species and uh often conservation minded and so i i think it's wonderful i'm looking forward to i'm going to be fishing early wilds and it's going to be tough early on uh i might try a couple hatchery I, I, I don't even know. Hopefully. I, I'd like to, you know, try some various rivers with some hatchery plants as well. But um, Well, you know where I fish. Like, yeah. you know, I've been talking to you a lot. And so if uh, it ends up being really good at some point for, for hatchery fish, I'll always, uh, you know, let you know. And... Yeah, and that, that would be awesome. And that can be a lot of fun, especially, you know, when there's a lot of fish in the system. And, and if there isn't too much pressure, that can be incredible, you know. And that's um, like... One time last season, I had like the best day of hatchery steelhead fishing I've yeah. ever had. That was like, I, it was one of the days I almost didn't go and like conditions were perfect and the bite didn't turn on until like 1030. And I was convinced there was nothing, you know, in there, there were yeah. only a couple other people around. And then I just like, um, switched to a color that I really like. Um, and then bam. And then, like, I landed, I think, like, eight chrome hatchery steelhead within at something like an hour and a half. That is uh, And then the bike yeah. just completely died. It just, like, yeah. as soon as, like, noon came around, it was like, oh, okay, nobody home. Yeah. You know? And yeah. it was after that. It was tough. But then my buddy came who fishes there a lot. And I actually think he's a lot better than I am. Chris Denning. I've learned a ton from him. Yeah. Um, one of my yeah. really good friends. He caught, I think let's see, 13, mm-hmm. uh, the day after or two days later. And there was almost nobody there. And two of them were 16 pound chrome. Hands. Oh, that's a incredible. Picture of them in the cooler. Yeah. It was wild. That's incredible. And that, you know, that can happen. Um, and that's why, you know, just, just saying, being a little quiet about things like maybe at the start of a season, a little bit, just kind of having some fun, catching some fish. There's some value in that, you know, or at the end of the run, you know, when a lot of people go spring or fishing, sometimes there's still some phenomenal chrome steelhead action going on. Well, anyway, thank you, Andrew, for being on the podcast today. Well, Lucas, thanks a ton for having me, man. I really appreciate being here, being able to spend the time talking about steelhead. Um, and uh, the reason I wanted to come on the podcast in the first place was because, honestly, the STS podcast is just... When I was starting out steelhead fishing and, and when I was still learning, and honestly, I'm, I'm always 
learning more about steelhead fishing. It's like never a time where I'm not trying to get better or learn more. Um, but, uh, the podcast just helped me so, so much when I was starting out. Um, honestly, it was, it was priceless. I would just listen to a ton of the different episodes on repeat, um, when I was driving out to different spots to go fish. It's just a, a ton of time spent in the car driving and, you know, um, great opportunity to to download some podcasts and listen to them and i think the salmon trout steelheader podcast is was just priceless for helping me figure out a lot of stuff and um you know i I really wanted to be here just to hopefully try and help give back uh a little bit to something that helped me so much um and uh and hopefully i'll be able to you know, get into more specifics and talk about more specific stuff that can help people get started steelhead fishing, get going, um, catch fish, you know, um, cause it, it's really tough. And, uh, if you don't have the determination or the willpower to, um, work really hard to figure it out, um, it can be, you know, defeating. Um, so having this as a resource was just, it was pretty priceless to me, and uh, I hope it can be that priceless for a lot of other people. Um, steelhead fishing and and help them to find fish more effectively, or or learn more about steelhead, or um, yeah, just to not give up and and keep trying and and keep learning and grow their passion for these fish. I mean, it's a it's an incredible fishery that we have here, and. Um, probably not going to be around forever, but I'm really grateful to be part of it right now and, and certainly really grateful to be on the podcast. So thanks, Lucas. I really appreciate it. And then I uh, just wanted to throw out a quick thanks to my good friend, Chris. Taught me a ton of what I know about steelhead fishing. Uh, we fish a ton together. We're going to be fishing a ton together this season because he's going to be a dad this upcoming spring. And uh We have one last winter to fish together a bunch before he gets real busy. So super excited to to keep catching fish with him this winter. And then uh, just a bunch of the staff at uh, Fisherman's Marine Delta Park. Um, Karen is amazing. Don't let anybody else spool on your line. She does the best job. Um, Ethan, Jojo, you guys are amazing. And uh, Dean, really appreciate you too. Hey man, that means a lot to me. It's been a pleasure working with the Amatos here, Salmon Trout Steelheader, you know, learning from them, just learning from all these different resources and content that you can. I consider it a blessing, Um, you know, it's educating people and getting people into a sport that is really beautiful and we can all be conservation minded, but also opportunity minded. All right, thanks, Andrew, for coming by, and thanks uh, to Larry Jones, Mr. Radagast himself, for sponsoring this episode with uh, his cigar box guitars and his location here. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Lucas. Appreciate it, man.